Hello friends, welcome aboard to another episode of White Collar Crimes, where we show you the only color that truly matters in our criminal justice system is green. I'm Ryan Horn, your host. Thanks for joining us aboard. A little under the weather tonight. Uh, was in Springfield this weekend where my wife is at and you know, working and I... Very cold up there, I'll just say that. Uh, wind chills the other night, minus 13, out in the wind a lot. Really has messed my sinuses up. Thankfully, not down, sick, miss work, anything like that. Just uh, a little congested, for lack of a better word. So if I sound that way, it is exactly what's happened. So, But appreciate you tuning in. Um, tonight, a little back into some sports-related white-collar crime like we've had recently in some recent episodes. If you are in Indianapolis area, um, I kind of root for the Colts. They're a close team that we have here. Or if you're with Baltimore Colts, this will hurt a little bit each way, this story, because this is a player that played for both the Baltimore and Indianapolis Colts. I remember when the Colts moved to Indianapolis, I was... I believe in maybe about sixth grade or something like that when that happened back in the mid-80s, 84, somewhere around in there. And it was a tough weekend for the Colts. Uh, They had a chance to win their last two games, win one of the last two, and they're in the playoffs. And yesterday, their season's on the line. They lose to the lowly Jacksonville Jaguars, worst team in the NFL, and basically eliminated themselves from playoff contention. So... This is a rough story for a, a rough year for this team, but some of you might have seen this story featured on American Greed, and it's the story of Arch Schleichler. He was a quarterback for the Baltimore Colts and then the Indianapolis Colts when they made the move. In the early, he was a quarterback in the early 1980s, mid-80s. He was born in Ohio was a star athlete in several sports in school, particularly good at football, obviously. Uh, so good, in fact, he was a starter all four years at college at, at Ohio State in Columbus, which if any of you have ever been to Ohio, you should know Ohio State has a pretty solid following in that area. In fact, uh, when I graduated from the University of Cincinnati, one of my classmates was a cop in Columbus, and he told me that the reason there aren't any a lot of sports teams other than the Columbus uh, Blue Jackets that in Ohio or in Columbus, Ohio is because they cannot compete with Ohio State, you know, because Columbus is actually bigger, to my knowledge, than Cleveland or Cincinnati. And even, you know, they both have major league franchises while Columbus only has, you know, the NHL Blue Jackets. And they haven't been around a terribly long period of time. And this guy's theory for that was is because nobody could compete with the Buckeyes. Who, who knows? It makes sense. Logical. And he was a star there. In fact, uh, three of the four years he played, he was a Heisman finalist, oftentimes, you know, even finishing in the top five. You know, as you know, most of you know, I'm sure, the Heisman Trophy Award is given out each year to, you know, voted the most outstanding college football player in the country. Oftentimes that is a quarterback, sometimes not, but the overwhelming majority of time it is. And that doesn't always lead to great success. Uh, Schleets are certainly not the first quarterback to ever you know, win the Heisman Trophy and be a bust in the NFL. A lot of you probably remember Ryan Leaf and um, Rick Meyer, I think, was one. A few others that I can remember over the years. A lot of times it happens. They win, you know, the Heisman Trophy Award and then the pressure's too much. Or, you know, when you get drafted in the NFL, 
the worst teams draft first, and if you're the Heisman winner, you're most certainly going to be drafted on probably the worst team in the NFL that year. So a lot of things factor into that, and just a lot of pressure overall. And pressure is what Art said led him to actually start gambling in while in college to keep up with the image, to try to keep up with the pressure of being the golden boy there in town. So he actually started running, they suspected, with some pretty shady, notorious gamblers in that area all the way back in his college days. But he manages, as I said, go through college, very successful quarterback, gets drafted fourth overall by the then Baltimore Colts in the 1982 draft. And he was scheduled to probably be their all-time starter, their you know their regular starter for that job that year, but it was a strike-shortened year in 1982. A lot of people, you know, may not remember that. That was a while back, but they had a strike that year in the NFL. I think they only played like nine games or something like that, and they uh, had a short season, but he was beaten out in that job by Mike Pagel, and he was still seen, though, as going to be the QB of the future. And he was on the team and, you know, like I said, still had prospects ahead of him for a long career, make lots of money, that kind of thing. But by then, his own gambling compulsions were already starting to derail his career, pretty much as they would his entire life. Uh, He admitted he blew his $350,000 signing bonus halfway through the season. Well, as I said that year, you know, the season was really only nine games with the strike. So, in reality, he uh, blew through that rather quickly. And this is $350,000 40 years ago, basically. So, a lot more money than it is in. You know, I don't know what that is in today's dollars, but it certainly is a lot more than that. Probably at least three times that, what it would be worth now. So, that's how fast he went through it. And he was alleged to owe several bookies a lot of money. And these bookies threatened to expose him if he did not pay up. And he knew... That would jeopardize his career in the NFL because the NFL does forbid gambling, whether it be legal or illegal. So he had some problems on his hands early on. So before he got exposed, he did go to the FBI. This is in 1983. And this did lead to the arrest of some of these bookies. But he was suspended from football for 13 months. And that was shortened by the commissioner at that time because he did agree, which I believe that was Paul Tagliabue back then. Uh, Not 100% sure, but he did agree to that at that time. And he did agree to get some counseling and some treatment, things of that sort, for his gambling problem. And this was the first gambling suspension in the NFL in about 20 years. Uh, Prior to that, back in 1963, Alex Karras, Guys might remember him, some of you people that are listening that are my age, uh, from the sitcom Webster. You know, he was George, the dad on there, and I think he was also known for a small but comical role that he had in Blazing Saddles, Mongo. That guy, I think he was on the Detroit Lions at that time, and Paul Horning, the, quote, golden boy from the Green Bay Packers. They were both busted for some gambling issues. So that's the first time in about 20 years anybody had really been popped for it, and you know, sports for a lot of reasons, you know, they look down on that. You know, I can remember back when I was in, I don't know what it was at the time, probably uh, seventh grade or something like that, the time when Pete Rose broke the all-time hit record and, you know, broke Ty Cobb's hit record. But to this day, because of his gambling, he is not in the Hall of Fame, you know. And it's hurt a lot of people and it's hurt a lot of careers. 
And as we'll see here in a little bit, it oftentimes can lead people to committing crimes. He did make it back to the NFL in 1984. Like I said, by then they are the Indianapolis Colts. They've moved over to Indianapolis. He admitted he had continued to gamble, but he said not on football. So, by 1985, he finds himself a free agent. Uh, He has a shot at the Buffalo Bills at this time, but that quickly fell apart when the USFL fell apart. And star quarterback from there, Jim Kelly, became available. The Bills swiped him up pretty fast. Now, as we all remember, Jim Kelly had a pretty successful career with the Buffalo Bills, uh, appeared in four Super Bowls, didn't win any of them, but still had a great career nonetheless. I mean, that takes talent to get to four straight Super Bowls, even if you don't win any. That's pretty remarkable accomplishment. And once that they showed interest in him, that was pretty much the end that they would need of any services by Mr. Schleichter. So he finds himself unemployed again. Now, he did manage to have a second catch-on later in the Canadian League, which, you know, his NFL career was rather forgettable. He only played in about 13 games, started maybe six of them, lost all of these, only threw three touchdowns versus 11 interceptions. He's considered uh, in the top five or ten biggest draft busts of all time. You know, again, we mentioned Ryan Leaf and a few of these other ones. Jamarcus Russell that was on the Raiders a few years ago is considered a huge draft bust. It happens. You know, you just don't really know what's inside a player's head when you draft them, and as we see sometimes, some like Kurt Warner, again, recommend going to see the movie American Underdog, great film. He wasn't drafted at all. He was overlooked, but he had the heart of a champion, as they say, and he went on to dominate and win a Super Bowl. Um, Same can be said about Tom Brady. Tom Brady, you know, was a sixth-round draft pick, certainly overlooked. A lot went ahead of him. We know now he'll go down in history as the greatest quarterback of all time. So, The scouts don't always know what's inside somebody's head, and there's obviously was something very wrong in Art's head because he had a very serious gambling problem. But he did catch a little bit of a break with the Canadian League. That often happens a lot of times when NFL players' careers are finished earlier than they want to quit playing. Some of them will catch on in the Canadian League. You know, it's it's a living. It's a gig. It pays, and you're still doing what you love and May not be exactly where you want to be, but, you know, it's better than 9-5, to five, right? But that didn't last long. About halfway through the season, he got injured and was released about 30 days after that injury. So, finds himself out there again. But kind of like Kurt Warner from the Rams prior to catching his big break in the NFL, he caught on with the Arena Football League, and that's exactly what Art did. He caught on in the early 1990s in Arena Football. And those of you listening that aren't familiar with that, it's much different than an NFL football game that's played just that, as it says, it's inside in an arena. The field is only 50 yards versus 100. Uh, a lot more is in play, and the rules are a lot different than what is in the NFL. It's very fast-paced. Uh, the goals that they kick, the field goals and extra points through, are about half the size that they are in the NFL. Very challenging, so it's not easy money. But he actually did well and thrived in this with the uh, – Detroit Drive, he actually managed to win an arena bowl game, which is the championship game at that sport and is kind of equivalent to the Super Bowl in the NFL. So he did find a little success, but not too surprisingly, he gambled away a lot of the money that he made there as well. And they could no longer cover him there in Detroit. He was released, caught on one year in his 
last year of playing there with the Cincinnati Rockers. This was a team they had there at the time. And after one season with them and continued gambling problems and arrests and things of that sort, he decided to call it a career, and he said he would focus on a radio career. Now he goes out to Las Vegas, horrible idea for somebody with a gambling problem, but catches on in radio. Doesn't last too long, matter of fact, I believe within a few months he's busted for stealing checks from his employer. He would steal from his employers, family, friends, anybody he could to feed and fund his addiction. It was that serious. In fact, by his own estimation, he easily stole over $1.5 million. And this was in a 2007 interview when he said that. So could be over that by now. Who knows? And he was arrested a few times in Ohio for passing bad checks and things like that. But his star days at OSU kind of... Kind of kept him out of trouble. He would get uh, light sentences, maybe probation, things like that. You know, everybody liked him. He was a likable guy, right? Football star, so they took it easy on him. But this did soon take a toll on his life, especially with his girlfriend and their two children. She could not trust him with any amount of money, couldn't trust him with their checkbook, anything like that. He simply gambled away everything that they had, and he rarely won. He almost always lost. And like a lot of gambling addicts do, he would try to recover that loss by, you know, going at it again, the old double or nothing, and would lose that. And you see how it snowballs. It just continues to go down the track, and the next thing you know, you're broke, and you can't dig yourself out of that hole. Or you try by getting money through unlawful means. You know, again, a form of a white-collar crime. And make no mistake about it, what he did was a white-collar crime. But by the 1990s, things were spiraling out of control for him. He had lost all that he had in times in Vegas. And in Ohio, in January of 1995, he was sentenced to two years in federal prison. And after a short release, he was arrested again for stealing $8,500 in checks from an employer. Uh, Who would hire this guy? I have no idea. He was, you know, obviously, again, stealing them to gamble. And he's sentenced back to prison for 13 months. But this is important to note because I know from my days in my entire career that I've had in corrections and probations, the overwhelming majority of time that I've seen when people are burglarizing and stealing and things like that, it's to feed a habit. It's either for drugs or, in this case, gambling. And what's the patterns you see? His habits and his patterns and his mannerisms to get his fix, so to speak, on gambling are really no different. Actually, it's a lot worse than most drug addicts that I've seen. Most of them don't steal the amount of money that he did to continue to get this going. You know, he was willing to betray friends, families, employers, risk it all, go to jail, go to prison, didn't care who he hurt. You know, things that addicts, behaviors they have that are often common, it's common here too. You know, and it goes to show you that gambling can be just as addictive and just as powerful as drugs, that he's willing to commit, you know, the crimes that he did to feed this habit. So by 19, between 1995 and 2006, he had served a total of about 10 years in about 44 different jails or prisons throughout the country, mostly in Ohio and Indiana, but, you know, a little bit of time, I think, in Vegas and some other places out in there. And even in prison, he had to be placed in isolation at that time for gambling. And as I said that before in the Bernie Madoff uh, podcast very early on in the history of this podcast last year 
that Bernie Madoff, you know, as that saying goes, a leopard doesn't change his spots. And Bernie Madoff continued to run Ponzi schemes from prison, even with the prison commissary, you know, buying up all the ramen noodles and trying to sell them out back to the inmates at an inflated price or something like that. You know, he continued to be a scam artist. Well, Mr. Art Sleechter is a gambling addict, and he continued to do things gambling addicts do, even while he was locked up. Behavior didn't change. And that's the thing people forget, and they don't really know that a lot of times. I know from my time in corrections, you know, when people get locked up, they don't necessarily change their behavior. You know, society's maybe safe from them because they're behind a wall and behind bars, but they don't always just change right away. And he certainly didn't. He continued to do these things. But by 2006, he is out of prison. He moves in with his mother. It's estimated that he owes hundreds of thousands of dollars in restitution. Sure, he has no intention to pay him back, and if he did, he would use that money for gambling, so wasn't going to happen. And he and his mother even teamed up to appear in some anti-gambling ads that aired throughout Ohio um, against, you know, legalized slot machines, you know, uh, riverboat gambling, things like that, the, you know, poker machines that you see now in bars and restaurants. They spoke out against all those kind of things. He spoke out about what gambling had done to his life and the harms that it could have. But it was short-lived. By 2011, he was reunited with a woman he had known earlier by the name of Anita Barney. And she was a wealthy widow of a former Wendy CEO. And she was connected to Art because her son was once in a plane crash, a plane crash that apparently killed a few people, including her husband, her son's father. And it was believed that when Art, when he was the Ohio State football star, this is, I think, in 1981, he came to the bedside and visited this young man. And she credits that into giving him the strength to fight and recover and hang on. And they had this bond. And he connects back up with her. Now, by this time, he's already under an investigation for swindling folks out of Ohio State tickets. He would promise to get people good tickets for whatever and you know they'd give him the money and he would either use that to gamble or pay off other debts you know the old rob peter to pay paul kind of thing and eventually that was catching up with him because obviously you know it's kind of like a ponzi scheme there he had no intention of ever paying up people give their money they want their tickets he doesn't have them pretty soon the long arm of the law was uh catching up to him on that And he was finally, for this little scam, sentenced to 10 years in state prison in Ohio. And while on house arrest, waiting to be transported to prison, he tested positive for cocaine. So, having a little trouble following the rules. Now, Miss Barney was actually caught up in his little scheme, but she admitted her role in it, turned state's evidence on him, and uh, testified against him about their little scheme. And in the end, she only got about three months of probation, of course, I'm sure her money and wealth helped too, but she also had to pay back a lot of restitution, which cost her a lot, and they said eventually she had to uh, sell her home and lost a lot of what she had. And she admitted he threatened her many times with violence to get money from her so he could use to gamble or pay debts, and he extorted a great deal amount her, manipulated, controlled. Again, things that we often just think drug addicts do, but here's somebody whose addiction is not drugs, it's gambling. And he's committing some pretty serious crimes, you know. I mean, by estimation, robbed and built people out of, at this point, probably a couple million dollars. Now, while he was in prison, 
he got diagnosed. The doctors believed and diagnosed that he possibly have, or not possibly, they did diagnose him with Parkinson's disease and dementia. Now, this is from years of repeated blows to the head, concussions, things like that. We know that to be a serious problem in football. The NFL has been busted for that. In fact, uh, an upcoming podcast coming up for us, as I mentioned down the road, uh, you know, our good friend, occasional sidekick there, Greg Ulanchich, will probably be joining us to talk about uh, the NFL's cover-up on that scandal. Again, there was a Will Smith movie about that called Concussion. And we know it's a serious problem, and I have no doubt, you know, it's probably impaired his judgment on a lot of things. But here's the thing. This problem goes all the way back to his early college days, probably long before this has really taken much of a toll on him. So I don't think that is entirely the story there, although it does make me concerned how he may be handling things now because he was released from prison back in June of last year, 2021. And I don't know, I haven't seen his name come up in the highlights or in the news or anything, so I don't know if he's had any other brushes or run-ins with the law, but it's kind of scary to think that, you know, he's now, I believe, 61 years old. If his mind is in a little bit of a deteriorated state, then it might be even easier to, you know, fall off the wagon here. Who knows? I hope he has people around him that can protect him and help him and maybe keep him out of trouble. It is a very serious problem that, as you can obviously see, if somebody's willing to go to 40-something different jails and do easily over 10 years in time and destroy family and friends and employer relations in a football career that could have been potentially worth several million dollars. That's some pretty serious stuff, folks. It's not always just the local crack addict that's struggling with addi- addictions. Could be anywhere out that. And on that note, I want to say, if you do know somebody that is struggling with a gambling problem, you can call 1-800-GAMBLER or go to 1-800-GAMBLER.net to see about getting help. And there's also almost every state, there's a website that will show pretty much every state in the country has a gambling hotline you can turn to for help. If you are listening to this and you have a problem with gambling and you want to seek help, highly recommend that. Or if you know somebody that does, highly recommend it. I've seen it ruin some lives from people I know personally. And, uh, you know, it's some serious stuff, folks. And again, people are willing to commit crimes for it. Pretty serious, high financial crimes, like in this case. Yeah, this is a, an exceptional case for sure, but it destroys a lot of people who aren't, you know, college or NFL football stars. Just everyday folks get destroyed by this too. So if you know somebody that needs some help, hopefully we can uh, point this out and get them some help. So I appreciate you joining in. Um, if you like our show, like us on Facebook, White Collar Crimes. You can also uh, suggest an episode if you like on there or contact us on our Anchor page. We also have a link where you can donate money to us. But most importantly, we appreciate you just tuning in and listening to us. But yeah, if you want to drop us a line on the Anchor page and an idea about a show or a suggestion, you can do that. Contact me on there. Email me if you like. If you got an idea for a show, ryanvt at gmail.com. If you're interested in voiceover work, I also do these type of services. You can check out my website at ryan-horn.com. As always, we thank you very much for listening to us. God bless and take care, everybody. We will see you next week.